Welcome to the fourth edition of the Not Quite Scottish Scottish Football Show. The show that starts off Scottish, but is more desperate to get stuck into English football than Rangers and Celtic. In this close season special, we'll be taking a look at yo-yo clubs and the impact of bouncing between the divisions on fans, finances and all things football. On the back of reading Daniel Gray's footballing treasure trove Saturday 3pm, we'll also be discussing what we miss when the curtain comes down on the football season. So, at risk of making this intro run shorter than Ryan Jack's European football adventure, let's get on with the show. Did you know Richard Wright has played only 12 Premier League games and has won two more league title winners medals than Liverpool? So, my guest this week is Mr Martin Middleton. Martin, welcome to the show. Good evening, Gaff. And Martin, you're something of a first for this show, as you are in fact our first bona fide celebrity in your own right, and my first guest who has indulged in the sacred art of sporting punditry before. Can you fill us in on your sporting punditry CV? Well, I once appeared on the BBC Radio World Football Phone-In as a guest interviewer, but, uh, or interviewee should I say, uh, didn't go too well. Uh, I was talking about Korean football, and it turns out I didn't know anything about Korean football. Much like today, where I will probably show I know nothing about Scottish football. So, basically following in step, my footsteps. So, what compelled you to contact the show in the first place? They actually contacted me. Well, actually, I asked them because I wanted to get some information about Brazilian uh, football. So, I was going to Brazil. Mm. I wanted to know what to watch, where to go. And they said, we can't help you with that, but you're, from Korea, you're living in Korea. Why don't you come on and just like, talk about Korean football? So I said, why not? How long did it take them to rumble you? Like, ten minutes. It's an hour show. Mm. But, like, were they, were they angry? Was there any piss-taking? Yeah, well, we had a lot, it was a lot of fun. Like, I, I did give some good information, too. We just had a bit of banter. It was a bit of fun. But, um, yeah, they kind of made it, like, kind of laughed a little bit. But then they were, they were really nice as well. Like they did, like the next the next week they made an effort to say like thanks for Martin coming on. He's very knowledgeable. But I know that was probably just to be nice. So if I was to ask you, Aberdeen's Niall McGinn has just left the club and he's looking to join the K League team Guangzhou. Would you recommend that as a good move, or do you have no idea whether that's a good move? I I would honestly say that there's any move to the K League's a bad move. Mm. Just being honest. I was looking at the attendances to prove a point that it might be quite shit, but I realised they're actually better than most of these Scottish teams. So, um, <laughs> well, interestingly, on that point, they have all these World Cup stadiums with like fifty thousand people, but they only have like in Busan they built a small stand for two thousand people to make it more homely because they weren't filling the fifty thousand. Wow. So actually, the attendances are quite poor for Korean standards because they only have one team for like three and a half million people. But um, everyone fills out the stadium for baseball and no mm. one goes to watch football. So, so truly... Oh, so if baseball is using the stadium, it's not a white elephant. Baseball has their own stadium. Oh, so the stadium is... Wow, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, so on the back of you being the biggest celebrity ever to guest on the show... Thank you. Um, this week we're going to test your Scottish credentials by quizzing you on which clubs your fellow celebrities support. Uh, I'm going to give you some names and I'd like you to guess which team they support. Okay, let's go for it. All right. Uh, your starter for 10 is Irvin Welsh, The Proclaimers, Andy Murray, Doug Ray Scott, Gail Porter and John Leslie. Alright, Irvin Welsh, I'm going to say that he's a Ouija, I'm assuming, and I'm going to 
go for. I'm going to go for Rangers on that one. Okay, uh, Irvin Welsh, a Hibs fan, <sighs> um, central to train spotting. The Proclaimers also have written a number of songs where they're tacitly complimentary of Hibs, big fans. Uh, number two is uh, Sean Connery, Snooker's Graham Dot, and profound serial liar Gordon Ramsay. Uh, I could put me in a stab at this one. No, that's a lot. It's going to be a random guess. Um, let's go for... Let's go for Rangers again. Yeah, if uh, Ramsey's own autobiography to believe is to be believed, sorry, he's a Rangers legend, and he played one bounce game for them, and it proved central to his autobiography. Uh, number three is uh, Rod Stewart, Kevin Bridges, John Higgins, Snoop Dogg, and Eddie Reader. And they were Scottish teams. Yeah, yeah. Um, then I'm just going. I'm going to have to go. For Celtic with this one. Yeah, absolutely bang on. Celtic, uh, Rod Stewart, who is a cup final supporter. He doesn't seem to show until the big games come around. Uh, number four, Stephen Henry, Sir Chris Hoy, Alex Salmond and Ronnie Corbett. It's going to be a bit more complex. I'm going to go with Aberdeen. That is Hearts. I didn't actually know that Ronnie Corbett was even a fan of football, but there we go. Yeah, me neither. And number five... Bill Bailey, cricketer Ashley Giles, and Pete Doherty. This one is not Scottish. It's got QPR. Yeah, it's QPR. Pete Doherty, big fan. And you got that one nice and easily, which is no surprise given that you support which English team? Queen's Park Rangers, mildly related to Scotland because you've got Queen's Park Rangers and the older Green and white hoops was our first kit oh interesting to know but also completely ludicrous <laughs> <laughs> um, and can you confirm that you have no real inclination towards Scottish football whatsoever I, I have none since the age of 11 and no team that you have a fleeting interest in when I was younger I liked Rangers because I liked Queen's Park Rangers so uh-huh. I just thought that would be the Scottish team that I would like but I, I lost interest at the age of like 12 and who is the best Scottish player to play for your club I'm going to go, for me personally, from stuff that I've seen, Matty Phillips. Now, he's not Scottish, but he does, he can play for Scotland and he's a Scottish oh, one international. Of those, one of those we've dug up through the grandmother, great-grandmother. Yeah. yeah, and I'm going to go for him purely because he's a premiership player currently. Yeah. We don't have many premiership players. I do wonder how many bodies we've exhumed looking for genetic ties to, you know, able players. Uh, secondly, who is the worst player you've ever seen from Scotland? I don't think I can give you an answer to that. Honestly, I just think, like, at the moment, there's a lot of players, and I couldn't tell you who they are, so... <laughs> it's a fair call. I recommend um, YouTubing Chris Martin, and then we'll get back to you in the next show. If you had to rate the Scottish football game out of 10, what mark would you give it? I guess it's a lot of criteria, so I'm going to go with a 7, and the main reason I'm giving it a 7 is because I think it's got a lot of heart, and I think it's, it's got a lot of things about football that I do really like. Not in terms of the quality of the game, but as football as a whole, there's a lot of things I do admire about it. So I'd say seven's a fair shout. I'm quite militantly defensive of the Scottish game, and I don't even think I would push past the <laughs> six. <laughs> and if you could sum up the game in Scotland using three adjectives, what would they be? Hearty, local, and minnowish.
Okay, excellent. So we're going to move on to the show and crack on with our first talking point. Contact us on Twitter, MQS SFS Podcast. Find us on Facebook, Not Quite Scottish. Or direct all other hate mail via the SFA. Well, it's been quite a week. Rangers, a club steeped in a rich and controversial history, placed their faith in Pedro Caetinho's rebuild, only to see themselves beaten by progress. Arsene Wenger managed to sign a player that he wanted, rather than having to settle for a 14-year-old Zambian boy who has to spend 10 years at Beveren before he can get a work visa. Everton continued their strong summer in the transfer market, scaring Liverpool fans into believing that this might be their year. And as things get entirely out of hand in the transfer market, remarkably, none of the top European clubs have parted with their hard-earned millions in pursuit of Scottish demigod Chris Martin. Crazy as things are, it got me to wondering about those poor clubs who, as well as having to go through the tribulations of strengthening or weakening and preserving a squad, have to shrink or grow according to moving to a higher or lower division. I can barely imagine the scale of the task facing clubs like Huddersfield or Brighton. And spare a thought for poor old Sunderland, whose fan Cam contacted me earlier this week. Uh, I think his own video does all its own justice. I recommend you check it out on YouTube. Just type in a message from Sunderland fans to the club rant and you should find it. So this gets me to thinking about your club QPR and more generally those yo-yo clubs that seem to perennially jump between promotion and relegation. For definition's sake, I use the term yo-yo to describe the clubs who never seem to settle or cement an identity in either or any division. So who would you consider to be the definitive yo-yo club? I always saw it in their previous years as Bolton. Mm. Of course, nowadays, no, not so much. Uh, I guess it goes with the times, it changes about a bit. I think Hull might have some time going up and down. But I, in my head, I always had Bolton as a team that like to jump about a bit. I mean, I think I've always seen Middlesbrough as the perfect example of this. Um, they've never been able to establish the Premier League kind of status. You know, um, they've always seemed like they're above the championship somehow. You know, and this season again... They're talking about being the best equipped side to financially to get out of the championship again. But in terms of the Premier League, they were miles off this season. Yeah, yeah, they were miles off. It's a, it's a tough one for Middlesbrough. I always look back to the days of Giannini and Ravinelli where they used to really, uh, you know, they were exciting. And then when you see them this time round, I was like, oh, this is like a grim version of Middlesbrough that yeah, really don't do anything for the league. There wasn't really anything there. And it seems to be a distinct phenomenon for the Premier League because in Scotland, we have clubs that will go up and down, but I think the gulf is a little less, you know, between the Scottish League. And we've had some really big teams going down in the last few years, like Hearts, Hibs, obviously Rangers were demoted. Um, it doesn't seem to kind of affect them the same way. Obviously, the money is not so obscene. Um, I know that Sunderland stand to lose a fortune going down. You know, um, some these common suggestion is that fifty five percent of a club's wealth or income disappears the season they go down from reduced ticket prices, reduced attendance. You know. Yeah, they they reduce a lot. I know of QPR. To be honest, I feel still like they must have reduced it somehow. But I still feel like it's a lot of money to go yeah. and watch and play. Um, the parachute you get the parachute payments which mm. help now, but um, I think clubs just need to learn to like spend within a certain amount of means and if they go up stay up by 
having a good manager, a good team ethic, and I think that's worth a lot more than like paying a lot of money for players. Mm. Uh, and and if you go down in the least, everyone's like, well, you know, they, they paid well as a team. Everyone likes them. The fans don't mind so much. But when they spend a lot of money and go down, yeah. I think that's when you get like really disgruntled fans. Why do you suppose teams like QPR, Watford, Hull, Norwich, and kind of laterally Newcastle, why do you think they fall into this trap and never seem to be able to kick on in the Premier League? I think, like, I guess the thing is there's always got to be, has to be three teams that go down. So even though sometimes you can get some teams that actually are quite decent, there's usually a pack, a fair pack of, like, you know, seven or eight that could go down, and some just get a, a good turn of results at some point, and they don't end up going down. Um, so sometimes it's just close, um, but then you do get some teams that li- literally aren't going to make it. QPR aren't really a Premiership team, in my opinion. We've got twenty thousand seat stadium. Um, financially, people say we've got money, but we've already been fined was it nine million by the f- uh, financial fair play. Um, so we can't really go out spending money for our owners' money anymore. And so I think like teams, those kind of teams maybe need to get a solid structure. I mean, Watford might be able to do a bit better now. They seem to have settled a bit. And you have teams like Swansea who kind of went up and that have had done great since they went up. They came out of QPR like what five six years ago, mm-hmm. and they've just been great. So I think for a lot of teams, it, it can be done. But I think those teams that go up and down, they're kind of like mid-sized teams, and it's inevitable that that's going to happen at some yeah. point. I was looking at QPR um, in preparation for this podcast, Erin. That in twenty sixteen, forty one players left and forty one came in um, since. Since like 2015, I think it is, you've lost Matt Phillips, Leroy Fair, Forlan, Hill, Green, Sandro, Armand Tauri, Junior Pollyett, Carl Henry, Ravel Morrison, Charlie Austin, Alex McCarthy, Stephen Cocker, Joey Barton, Sean Wright Phillips, Adil Tarat, Bobby Zamora, Richard Dunn and Paul Koncheski, amongst many, many others. Those are just the more famous names. What does yo-yoing do for the relationship between the fans and the club? I think, yeah, I mean, that's hit the nail on the head there the relationship with the fans it's one of the biggest problems especially as a QPR fan because you have you go up and then the smarter clubs will keep most of their players and add to it with a few players whereas like, for some QPR try to throw a load of money at the situation and they got all these players in but when you go down you can't keep the players so even if they want to stand and the problem we had was that a lot of players wanted to stay mm. because they were on these massive contracts 100 grand a week and the Newcastle effect when they went down the first time that's it yeah. I think Peter Ramage was on 60 grand is that right a week yeah. something yeah. crazy yeah like that. Peter Ramage as well actually he's not oh. worth 60 grand a week. <laughs> yeah. he's not worth 6 grand a week <laughs> <laughs> but we had, we had all these players and we had to get rid of them and then so we got shipped out loads um, actually it didn't, you couldn't do it in one season it took 2 or 3 seasons even last season we were still getting rid of players mm-hmm. um, and then the play, players like Sean Wright Phillips Junior Hoylip stayed and they're hard to get rid of because they're not very good. And um, we've had they were on these large contracts, and you have a lot of fans saying some very horrible things about them. And people didn't like that being there because they're taking up the club's money. And so the relationship with the fans and the club and the players was under a lot of strain. And I think one of the issues is uh, something I miss about the game from years back is that there's no identity or there's less of an identity of a lot of clubs because players come and go managers come and go and so you don't have the same players that stay for a long time that you can feel it's your club yeah, with that promotion relegation thing as well there must be for the players it must be almost schizophrenic like one season you're a legend the next season you are the devil incarnate and then the next season you are held responsible for that still it hangs over you yeah definitely I mean QPR, a lot of the fans will see themselves as 
potential premiership team um, whether they are or not is up mm. to your, you to decide mm. but the players that actually everyone liked the, the Clint Hills the, uh, the Jamie Mackeys those the kind of players that just like weren't as good weren't stars but that fought really hard and didn't have any kind of attitude and want lower wages they're the ones that the fans loved and they're the favourites that even if they're not playing well will always have at the club I mean, for a club like yours, when they go up, obviously they've got to think about expanding their merchandising, their overseas operation, press and communications has got to be upgraded or expanded. You know, you've got increased wages, increased attendances to factor in, and you've got to pay bonuses for promotion. I don't know, it seems to unsettle clubs when, at that time, is when they need the most stability. I wonder, as a fan of a yo-yo club, what would you prefer? Would you prefer mid-table safety in the Premier League or would you prefer to run close in the Championship year in, year out or do you enjoy this process of yo-yoing between divisions? I would choose mid-table Premiership safety because living in Hong Kong I can then watch all the games of on course. TV um, I can have a lot more in- interaction with the game and I think it's just you're, when you watch your team play you're watching good games against good quality players um, then if you're in a championship, some of the games are good, but a lot of the games I go to see now for QPR, the quality is not as good, yeah. it's not as enjoyable. Um, the yo-yo situation, as much fun as it can be or slightly exciting, you just end up getting really annoyed with your team because then you think you're a premiership team, but then you're a championship team. And unfortunately for me as a QPR fan, I would like, it would be better if we were a yo-yo club, but I think we just yo-yoed a couple of times and now we're just going to be a championship club for... Who knows how long. What would be your opinion, though, on mid-table obscurity or just battling relegation by the skin of your teeth every season? If if I knew we weren't going to go down, then yeah. I I could battle it for the skin of my teeth for the fun. fun Yeah, I think think West Brom fans, uh, Stoke fans for a while when he was there, were critical of Pulis because they found a drudge. They were happy to be there, but... You know, like it was kind of wearing on them that the club wasn't going yeah. in an upwardly mobile direction and didn't show any signs of doing it. I mean, my, my team are both. They're kind of a yo-yo team. We were down a bit. We're just being promoted. I really enjoy it. Um, when I went to games regularly, one of the best feelings I ever had was um, we achieved like seventh place. I think it was the second last game of the season. And it was the greatest feeling. It was as good as winning the league because we didn't belong there. And then we got promoted to the first division. We got pissed on for about two months and we survived that again. I thought it was amazing. But there's also something great about relegation. And we're going to come on to that when we discuss the second point later okay, in the show. Yeah, yeah definitely. Well, I think that um, something with, with the, the, the one thing that I will say for a team, for the yo yo clubs, is it can be loads of fun if your expectation is we're still a championship team. But if you want to be a premiership club, then that's not very fun. But if you like Blackpool, when they went up, they just enjoyed it. And all the Blackpool fans had fun because they knew they were going to go down. And for me, that would be the best scenario. If you live in Hong Kong and would like to appear on the show, please contact us through the channels mentioned earlier. If you don't seem like too much of a dick, you'll probably get on. Okay, next up, it is time for the Scottish QPR quiz. Our previous guests have had a mixed bag of results on the quiz, so let's hope that you can do a little better, Martin. Let's hit it up. Okay, question one. Question one. Which Scott, a legendary player at Preston North End who managed Manchester United, 
managed QPR in two spells. In two spells. Okay, I might need two guesses for this one. Jim Magilton? Okay. Uh, your correct answer was Tommy Doherty. Okay. I don't know where Jim Magilton came from. <laughs> I was thinking that too. Northern Ireland's Jim Magilton. <laughs> yeah. uh, how many caps? Question two. How many caps has Jamie Mackey won for Scotland? Uh, has he has he even won any? Um, I'm I'm gonna go for like seven. That's pretty good. He won nine caps. Um, question three: On sixth of November, twenty sixteen, former QPR captain Clint Hill broke which record during Glasgow Rangers one-one draw with Ross County? Uh, most amount of red cards. Okay, good try. He was the oldest SP- SPFL scorer. Okay. <laughs> right. And question four. Of all the Scottish players to represent QPR, which three have brought in the biggest transfer fees? Matty Phillips. Yeah, 5.5 million. Possibly Jamie Mackey. I can't even name you a third player. Okay, uh, your other <laughs> options were um, Nigel Quasi. Oh, wow. Probably more English than most of the players we've talked about today. Uh, two and a half million. And John Spencer. One and a half million. That was, that was a long time ago. Yeah, in yeah. the days when Motherwell were paying out 1.5 million for players, believe it or not. Question number five is my favourite so far in the podcast. In season 1994-95, the Hoops signed Dutch keeper Sieb Dijkstra for a quarter of a million pounds from Motherwell. Seed barely played for QPR, but he did go on to achieve infamy by pursuing a career in which profession? Media. Slightly more good. Well, it's, was it porn? Yeah, essentially it was porn. <laughs> I didn't want to say it at first. <laughs> I wasn't sure if media quite covered it, but then I guess it's kind of an umbrella term for a lot of things. Oh yeah, I think you did pretty well there. You got porn correct, which is indicative of something, I'm sure. <laughs> Okay, so not bad. A good stab at the quiz. Next up, we will cover our second talking point, just in a moment. Have you been injured in an accident that wasn't your fault? Then rest up easy and download back episodes of this podcast on iTunes, Podcast Republic or SoundCloud today. Your recovery starts here. We're rooting for you. So our second talking point today is the closed season. I was recently reading a novel called Saturday 3pm. It's a book by Middlesbrough fan and writer Daniel Gray. Hamish, here. Click. This is good because it was not a novel, so... Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just remember it. <laughs> so our second talking point today is the closed season. I was recently reading Saturday 3pm. It's a book by Middlesbrough fan and writer Daniel Gray. Now, I don't want to give too much away, as I think this is a great weekend companion for anyone who's yearning either for the new season or a version of the game that they will definitely never get back. However, just for the sake of colour, examples of things discussed in the book include things as diverse as the age-old treat, the physiotherapist race, and seeing football grounds from the train. That one resonated with me because my football club's ground is just about visible from the train. And um, there's also one in Kirkcaldy, Wraith Rovers Stadium. And when you go past, the stadium opens up in a big panorama. And um, when I was reading the book, it just got me to thinking, um, what are the five things, the weird and the wonderful included, that you miss either in the closed season 
or as a result of the fact that we live so far from home that we can no longer attend games? Right, yeah, I guess I'm following what you said about going to the games. Um, the first thing for me is being in Hong Kong, we can't watch a lot of games. I see one game every year, the opening game of the season or the second game. And the thing I enjoy the most, because the football isn't very good, is arriving at the stadium. My dad will park the taxi up or we'll get the train and we'll walk through to the stadium. You just go through like the White City Estate or you've got like a load of tower and estate buildings and everyone's walking together. And it's like, uh, oh, it's great. A couple of beers before the game, maybe watch a 12.30 kickoff. Like for me, that is like nostalgic. And mm, This up. was actually my first choice. That feeling when you arrive at the ground and you see it. And like Arboros ground is... It's not exactly a behemoth or anything, you know, it's quite small. It is, the highest part of it is like a two-story house. But yeah, when you get there, you see like the admission prices, you hear the Tannoy announcement. Um, what is the admission price there? Oh, this season, I think £12, maybe gone up to 13 But yeah, like when you get there, you just hear all the old sounds from the season before. Like just everything about it is amazing. I don't know what it is. Um, and our ground is like pictorial. It's right on the the shoreline there's no buildings around it you know and just when you see it standing on its own that's like one of the things I love about going to the football back in our broth uh, what's your second choice? Um, again uh, related to being here is during the week watching Champions League football I always enjoyed fin- finishing work or university during the week going to the pub with some friends watching the Champions League loads of people in the pub watching it a couple of beers and dinner um for me, that was great. Mm. During the week now, there's zero opportunity for me. Well, I could go and watch the, the Hong Kong League, I guess. <laughs> Nobody wants to do that. It's not really the same. And so there's no opportunity for me to finish work, sit in a pub, watch some football, have some chat with my friends. Mm. We just chat without the football, which is fine. But My um, second choice is the consistency of the football. So when, when you're not there, you don't get it. But then you show up for, say, the first game of the season and all the old characters are there. You've got like the witty banter specialist, the record keeper who's been supporting them for like years and he's got every result on file. And you've got the old guard, the guys who stand on the halfway line screaming and walk around with 10 minutes to go, you know, effing and blinding at the ref or, you know, having a go at the manager, all this kind of stuff. They're always there. Um, our witty banter specialist was this guy in the late 90s who would just destroy the opposition goalkeeper sadly I can't remember any examples of this but we did have one guy he's one of our most famous fans and he's got this fucking huge beer belly and he just screams at the opponent's goalkeeper like you fat bastard and the whole crowd were like yeah and then silence ensued and they just looked at him before everyone started pissing themselves laughing because it was so ridiculous but Although I have no relationship with these people at all, there's something, some form of identity there in the fact that like they're always there. Yeah. It's one of my favourite things about football clubs. Have you got this at QPR? Or? Yeah, the same, the same kind of thing. We, we had the guy who wore, this, uh, wore a t-shirt called St. Grandad, who wore this big hat, had the drums, mm. and he'd be the same place every time, doing the drums, um, and he'd get all the chanting going. And like, for me, that was always one of the bits where I was like, I sit over in that area because just, I love So these guys are actually accepted by their fans because I remember Mr. Portsmouth FC, the guy with the yeah. jingle bells, man. I could not stand to be near that guy. <laughs> I think it would drive me crazy. I think you think you know that when you're going to buy tickets in that area, that is what you get. Yeah, you're it. kind of punishing yourself. And your third point? Um, 
to be honest, I felt actually so it was something that we talked about earlier. We kind of covered was um, the feeling the players like having a set of players that maybe some came from the local area that all played for a long time without the high turnover yeah. or managers who stayed for a bit longer and with all that turnover um, I kind of missed having that kind of same feeling for the club through the players and maybe other clubs have it but as QPR fan I feel that I have it less especially once players like you know Clint Hill is no longer playing for example Yeah like at our growth we have the same when I first started supporting them we had guys who had been there for you know, they played like a few hundred games. And I was really, at the time when I was so parochial and so obsessed with the team, I, I was really proud almost that we managed to not be like the other teams and have to sign 12 players every summer. But then we slipped into that. Right, and yeah. It's, it's, it, you're right, it's not the same, you know, when you feel like you don't have a connection. I mean, most of these long-serving guys were from the east coast of Scotland, uh, west coast of Scotland, you know. Right, yeah. No affinity to the club, but because they'd been there so long, it felt kind of special. But, yeah, that kind of sank away. And my third point, I don't know if you get these at QPR. So at our growth, you can switch ends at half-time. The ground is still completely terraced. So you're behind the goal with your players. And one of the things I love is in the winter, the first half is played in twilight, and the second half is played in darkness. Now, we always aim to be playing at a specific end, and... When you were kind of switching ends at half time, you knew it was going to be more intense and frenetic. Like you knew the pressure was going to be on the opponent. And it was always a great feeling. You know, like as it turned dark, the game kind of took on a lot more drama. Do you get that at QPR or? Yeah, definitely. I mean, some of the evening games have been the most tense because there's nothing like a really intense atmosphere than, than an evening game. For me, if it's a big game and it's in the evening, I've always felt. That was the best. For me, the best ever game I had was a playoff semi-final against Oldham. Weekday, in the evening, and like the atmosphere, you just slice it with a knife. Mm. But like, I, I feel like I've never experienced the same thing in a daytime kickoff. Yeah, I totally would be there. And what's your fourth point? Food. Food at the game. I was going to go with it, actually. Yeah. doesn't matter if you're hungry or not. I always want to stop at the burger place nearby. There's always one that I like to go to, but there's a couple around. The burger quality may not be so good. It doesn't matter. I always want to have a burger with some onions before the game. I may have had a pub lunch. Mm. Still going to have a burger. I don't know how you feel about this, though, but at Aberdeen, they have these tray bake foil pies, and I just don't like it, man. Like at our broth... Pucker pies? Yeah, that kind of thing. That we, at our broth, you just get like a t- piece of tissue paper with like the ugliest, mankiest pie on it. Like There's no meat inside. It's just like... <laughs> Is bits of animal that were not ever a muscle, you know, um, and I love it. I, I I'm with you. Like when I used to eat meat on a regular basis, I'd get like three pies, and now the closest we've got to that kind of um, high cuisine approach is the black pudding and beef pie, which I've <laughs> 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 there's a few. Um, I think there's like a sliced sausage, like Lauren sausage. I don't think that's really a thing in England, but. Um, yeah, they've just come up with these kind of artisan pies, and that I think is far is as far as our growth are ever going to go. Um, what do you think of the idea of drinking bovril at football? I've never had it. I've got a friend who likes it. I've never Frank understood Holmes. it. It is just a cup of malty gravy, that. Yeah, I guess so. Like, I think I've got a friend from uh, Exeter called Mark, and I think he loves a good bovril when his games. He goes to see a lot of the games, um, but I think that. Um, for me personally, I'd rather have a cup of tea or a beer. Mm. So my fourth point is um, 
something, this is me lamenting something that I missed from the game because I don't get an ad, uh, blind judgment. So like when my team's players get halved, when I was a kid, when I was younger, I would lose my shit, man. I was screaming to the point where my head hurt from the rage. And I went to a game at the start of the season before I came home and there were little niggling incidents. There was a local derby and everything. I should have been partisan as fuck, but I found myself just thinking, come on, guys, like, that was a clear foul. And at the end of the game, I was really disappointed in myself because I feel like I've lost something. Yeah. Like, yeah, to be yeah. a true fan of a football club, surely you have to be utterly partisan. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, if you're going to really like your... There's two ways of looking at it. I feel like when I was really into football... Like you, I guess I mm. I loved I always went for QPR no matter whether they're right or wrong I always thought the referee should be going with QPR yeah. now I'm a bit older I just tend to be a bit more like a bit more critical of my own team yeah. so if anything I might go the other way yeah. <laughs> the, the negative side of me yeah, that might explain why all our older fans at our growth are so cynical on that yeah. uh, so what is your fifth point? Um, actually this is a, something that I've a slight positive actually now for living in Hong Kong I love Match of the Day favourite TV show for most people I guess most football fans and um, in England it's always in the evening which is great but you know when I was young I always wanted to go out mm. but um, can't watch it in the evening so I've seen just uh, download it now and Sunday morning wake up a little bit hungover cup of tea bacon sandwich watch match of the day it's got to be one of my favourite things about football as we know it one of the things I like about that as well with watching it so late here is that you can skip all the punditry because I've no you don't time. like it then? Oh, fuck, I've no time for it. Um, listening to Alan Shearer try to oh, advise managers on... He's awful. Oh, like, I, I just, whenever he talks about, or is critical of managers, I just think of his dossier being handed over at Newcastle on how the club should be run. Yeah. And I'm just like, get fucked. I've no time for it. I mean, I like the, the, the way they edit the games. I think it's very good on right, match yeah. of the day. But um, it's probably a comfort blanket from my youth as well, but... Yeah, I have no time for the punditry. Fair enough. Yeah. What about Ga- Gary Lineker? Enjoy his uh, quippy puns? It's better than his Twitter account, which right, is... Yeah. Um, I think he's trying to become like a latter-day Katie Hopkins. I don't know if you follow him at all on Twitter. But I've seen it, yeah. Yeah, there's some pretty pretty brisk stuff on there. But yeah, um, My fifth point is one of my favourite things about football. i um, going to sum it up in a small song. Cheerio, cheerio, cheerio. And I think every red card... Have, do you do this in England? I don't know. I, I, it's just when some, someone gets a red card yeah, and yeah. then you sing cheerio to them. Um, I've not done it, but I've heard it, yeah. I mean, it's the greatest part when you've got the giant hand waves and everything and the guy's clearly still fucking pissed off. And it's just the greatest get it right up you. So not only has the guy been punted, he's going to get fined, banned for a couple of games... Everyone's just there He's screaming this. Banted by thousands of people. Yeah, and it's on like, TV. It's my favourite thing. Like when when that red card comes out, I just love a bit of cheerio, cheerio, cheerio. And um, so yeah, I would strongly recommend this book to you. Again, it's Saturday three pm by Daniel Gray. Um, I really recommend one thing which I did was um, skipping the contents page because then everything is everything is your favourite. <laughs> But everything is just like a surprise and it kind of reads like two guys sitting across a table bantering back and forth their things that they love about the game. Very good way to read it. So I recommend you get on Amazon and buy a copy of that or buy it from somewhere that makes the author a bit more money. Will do. I will do. Sounds great. Uh, What's his name again? Daniel Gray. Daniel Gray. Got it. 
So Martin, nice and straightforward for the team that we asked you to make. All we asked was your personal favourite Scottish eleven that you've seen play. Alright, start off with the goalkeeper, Neil Sullivan. I always liked the crazy gang. Mm. He was in goal, so Neil Sullivan, straight up. Sure. Um, three at the back, Hendry, because he's one of the most legendary defenders of all time, just for appearance, appearances, everything. He's just an absolute legend. Adam Hutton, so I couldn't think of anyone else. Uh, don't really like him. Same as you guessed last week. I was going to say, yeah, he was yeah. dismissed as one of the worst footballers he'd seen. Terrible footballer. Um, and Colin Calderwood, you know, got a high injury with Burley. Calderwood's got a little bit of something different to him, compliments him nicely. Centre midfielder's got three here, Fletcher, just to hold them together. Solid for what he does, nothing too special. Obviously, McAllister, one of the better midfielders ever. Got a lot to his game. Set pieces. After last week's podcast, I basically went on a YouTube mining session of his appearances at Liverpool. Just brilliant. Like, sensational. I, went on, I think I've talked about it every podcast, but I was so pleased that he became that player at Liverpool. Maybe the best Scottish player of your time? Would uh, you say, of our time? I, I guess in terms of the aura around him, yes. Like you had guys like John Collins who were very good. Course, but yeah. James McFadden would probably be in there for yeah. me on account of like the goals that he scored and the experiences I got from that. But yeah, certainly McAllister in terms of his club football, because for most of my right, of time course, he's yeah. not really been in because we didn't want him. We yeah. rejected him after Euro '96. Oh really? I didn't yeah. Know that. So like um, yeah, certainly from a club point of view, I would completely agree. So, the rest um, of your midfield? We've got Charlie Adams, purely for the goal yeah, from the halfway line. Yeah. Um, two wingers, Matty Phillips, because he played for QPR. Great cross with the ball, scores a few good goals, but he's pretty inconsistent. He just plays QPR. And as I said before, he's actually English, but has Scottish grandparents. Onto the other flank, Jamie Mackey, another QPR player. Um, again, actually English, but ancestry from Scotland. Hard worker, 110%, fast, strong. Not the best player in the world, but he's the sort of player the fans love and you can rely on him to do what he can for the club. I'm fairly sure it doesn't even come down to ancestry. I think they literally just, you know, corruptively plant fake genes into whatever testing process <laughs> they use. Because some of our Scottish players in recent times have been distinctly not Scottish. Yeah. Definitely. How about your forward line? Um, I've gone for Big Dunk, just because I was always... Just in awe of this player, he wasn't really a good footballer, but like did something. He had a good point for the team. He's big, he's strong, and also I've got Matty Phillips. Great cross for the ball. You want Duncan Ferguson in there to head it in, so mm. boom. And then going for the big man, little man, Ali McCoist. Dunkey can head it down to him. Great goal scorer, famous for that penalty in nineteen ninety six, I believe. The really famous penalty that he missed. That was McAllister. No, it was McCoy. Against it? England? Yeah. Yeah, Gary McAllister. <sighs> Yuri Geller claimed that he had moved the ball. If you watch the clip, the ball moves ever so slightly. And on Badil and Skinner's fancy football, I think it was, Yuri Geller claimed that he had sat mind-bending the ball. <laughs> I shit you not, man. I don't have the clips on YouTube, but if you do watch the penalty, it does move ever so slightly. I'll watch it after the yeah. show. And as I say, this is what's ruined... Gary Mack's reputation. So that was the reason why I didn't want him afterwards. I was about to say that and I thought, was it McCoy's? Well, I certainly think he felt he didn't get the support, you know, that 
he he more than deserved in my opinion. It, yeah, it wasn't his fault. I mean, yeah, I mean even looking back, the team wasn't that great, you know, and he was one of the standout players in in my opinion. Um, I like the inclusion of Duncan Ferguson. Um, next week on the team, we'll ask the guests to create a hard men five aside from England and Scotland. So be interested to see how that pans out. Uh, meantime, Martin, it's time to thank you for your appearance on the show. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's been and, a pleasure. Um, yeah, I look forward to having you on again in the near future. Keep it real. <laughs>